Hello and welcome to What You've Been Watching, an up-to-the-minute film and TV podcast where your host and leading film critic Roshan Chandy gives you his recommendations for what to watch in the world of TV and film. I also round up the weekly entertainment news and ask guests and listeners the big question, What You've Been Watching? Hello, Roshan Chandy here, and welcome to this week's episode of What You've Been Watching. It's a show where I talk about what I've been watching and ask guests what they've been watching. And this week we have a very special guest, the lovely Rory James. He's a music production student at Nottingham Trent University and the former lead singer of the band One Giant Causeway. Me and him, him had a great chat a few weeks ago, talking about all sorts, films, music, and his very special big part in a major Hollywood production back in 2012. We recorded this a couple of weeks ago now. I've been off air for quite a while. I've been busy with college, writing, and my opinions, but I assure you I'm back now, and really look forward to giving you some recommendations on what to watch in the world of TV and film. You'll hear Rory's interview in a bit after I tell you what I've been watching. The best film of this awards season arrived on multiple platforms this past month. It's called Judas and the Black Messiah, and it's fucking brilliant. Sorry for swearing, but no, Judas and the Black Messiah is an extraordinary, gripping, incendiary Black Lives Matter drama, mixing acting and archive footage, comedy and suspense, and politics and power play. It also has an electrifying performance from Daniel Kaluuya, and moral outrage to make the best films of Spike Lee proud. The era is the 1960s, and 17-year-old petty criminal William Bill O'Neill, played by the marvellously blinky Lakeith Stanfield is arrested in Chicago for attempting to hijack a car. O'Neill is approached by FBI Special Agent Roy Mitchell, played by a much fuller-faced Jesse Plemons from Breaking Bad. <laughs> Mitchell makes a deal of promising to drop the man's charges if he does undercover work for the FBI. O'Neill agrees and is thus assigned to infiltrate the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, the BPP, and its leader, Fred Hampton, played with a muscular physicality by Daniel Kaluuya. O'Neill thus grows close to Hampton, working to form alliances with rival gangs and militia groups, while looking to extend community outreach through the BPP's Free Breakfast for Children programme. Hampton's persuasive oratory skills eventually help him form the multiracial Rainbow Coalition, and Hampton is in love with fellow BPP member Deborah Johnson, played by Dominic Fishbank. Meanwhile, O'Neill relays intel to Mitchell with the return compensation money. With, when a fugitive party member, George Sams, played by Terrell Hill, hides out in the local BPP office, O'Neill discovers Sam is an informant whose presence in the BPP offices allow bureaus to obtain search warrants. Once Hampton is arrested and imprisoned, O'Neill rises through the ranks and is appointed security captain. When a shootout between the Chicago police and the BPP occurs, O'Neill sneaks in out of the office as it is bombed by the police. 
Afterwards, O'Neill quits being an informant, but is rejected by Mitchell. Now, the first thing to say about this movie is that it's a story that has urgent contemporary relevance. I mean, any film about the killing of a senior black activist is going to invite inevitable comparisons with the unlawful killing of George Floyd last year, which obviously led to the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. I will say from the outset that I love this film. This is the film that, for me, should be winning the Best Picture Oscar. It's pulsatingly political stuff. There's real-life archive footage of interviews with Hampton and Bill O'Neill, and there's scenes that play between these moments where the screen just cuts to black, as if the music or the movie is almost too tired to go on and is hanging its head down in empathetic shame at the injustice and racial, racial prejudice at hand. I wonder whether the cut to black was symbolic of the central character's skin colour, or maybe we're trying to say here that there's no such thing as black morality, uh, or white morality for that matter, anymore. There's also moments of genuine horror, like the camera darting between Daniel Kaluuya's quietly intense, quizzically polite and ironic eyes, to scenes of police officers staking out buildings and shooting down suspects for no apparent reason. I mean, the eventual shooting of Hampton reminded me of nothing more than the hotel stakeout scenes in Catherine Bigelow's Detroit, which was almost like a home invasion. The blacks were the victims and the officers the offenders. I think Daniel Kaluuya is just extraordinary as Fred Hampton. I mean, I've always said that this guy is going to be huge ever since seeing him in Johnny English Reborn. No, seriously. <laughs> I think 2021 is going to be the year he wins his first Oscar. He has these politely quizzical eyes and ironic eyes and a kind of asymmetricality in his facial features. He has a very funny set, set of facial features, but he also has muscles and a stocky build that is perfect for pumping up the aggression, anger and activism of a man as committed to bringing black lives to the forefront as he is. It's a terrific performance. And the soundtrack of this for this movie was so bizarre for this kind of social realist drama. I, and I mean that in a good way. It sort of swings between these saxophony staccatos to minimalist bum, bum, bum notes. It's very old-fashioned and actually reminded me of the kind of backing music that played against the Sidney Poitier movies of the 1960s. Now, this is a big comparison. I'm putting my reputation on the line here, but I think Daniel Kaluuya is the new Sidney Poitier. He's got that same passion for social justice, and he's also just a very angry young man, and rightfully so, given the treatment of black people across history. This movie is also certainly up there with the best work of Spike Lee. I know, another huge statement, but this movie has exactly the kind of mix of comedy and suspense that we've come to love from films like Black K. Klansman. So overall, two thumbs up. Such a terrific film. I want this to win the Best Picture Oscar. It's essential Black Lives Matter viewing, but also a lot more universal. I can really see Judas and the Black Messiah becoming a classic in the years to come. It's really a terrific film, and it's available on multiple platforms now. Don't miss it. So that's what I've watched this week, and now it's time to hear what Rory James has been watching. Good stuff. Hello to Rory. Hey, Roshan. How you doing, man? 
Yeah, really good, really good. I'm and, and uh, thanks, obviously, for doing this interview. It's really fantastic that um, I'm because we've known each other for quite a few years now. So yeah, and and, and uh, it's 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 just great to be able to catch up and um, to have you you know come on my podcast because and, and because I'm I'm fairly new to presenting podcasts and present and and um, you know having guests especially in my podcast and you you are my third guest so you know that's, and, and um but but yeah I'm, I'm i'm really glad that you you took the time to do this so oh, i'm very happy actually nice to see you again yeah no it's really it's really good to see you as well and i'm glad that you know everything's going well for you and um so i guess what i wanted to ask you first was um tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living yeah, well, at the moment, I'm in my third year at Nottingham Trent doing audio and sound engineering, uh, trying to focus in on, as you call, immersive audio, things like binaural, binaural and 5.1 stereo uh, surround sound, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you, you, because we know obviously that, um, well, I know at least basically, obviously you played in a band, for example, like you played in uh, One Giant Causeway. Is is that, do you have any plans to sort of return into music anytime soon or, you know, any, what's your the sort of status of that? Yeah, well, a couple of the guys I've, uh, I've met at uni, we we have started a band. We played a couple of gigs before everything got, uh, got locked down. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll pick that back up again pretty soon. Yeah, that's that's really good. And um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I have to ask you the title of this show, which is what you've been watching. So I have to I'll ask you now what you've been watching. Yeah, well, recently I watched um, I'll give a bit of context because I'm going to sound like a child here, but I've uh, I've been writing about sound in animated film uh, for one of my modules at uni. So uh, so I've been watching things like Wally, and I've seen uh, I've seen the new Spider-Man thing recently, the Miles Morales one. Uh, yeah, and a couple of sci-fi bits as well. Okay, what yeah. what sci-fi's in particular have you watched? Uh, a couple of a couple of the Marvel ones, you know. Uh, okay. I've been I know been up on superheroes. It's not really yeah, my that's thing. fair enough. Not really my thing either, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, um, yeah I think the sound design in those are really interesting. Obviously, the massive explosions and yeah. Yeah, no, well, that, that's that's great. Yeah, and um, so obviously for your final year at uni, you've been writing about sounds for you know film and TV. You know, as as you mentioned, are there any particular scores or soundtracks or composers? It can be anything really. Are there any sort of yeah? I mean, scores or soundtracks or composers that particularly stand out to you? Like, what is your what is your fondest memory of film and TV soundtracks? I don't think you can. Um, I think you can look past Hans Zimmer when you're talking about uh, composers for films. You know, he's he's the king, isn't he? Really, you know, things like Interstellar, the work he's done with uh, Tarantino, and uh, what's that? What's that one called? The one that isn't Tenet. The one before that. Christopher Nolan, Dunkirk, yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. The stuff he's done with Christopher Nolan's amazing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Hans Zimmer fan as well. So yeah, it's good to know that you obviously you know like appreciate Hans Zimmer and appreciate his amazing contribution to the sort of soundtracks of the sort of film industry. Um, I have to, yeah. And um, so you've been focusing particularly on animations and sci-fi. I suppose we've asked about this already, but I think that what I want to know is, do you have any favourites within the animation and sci-fi genre? Yeah, well, there's a there's a guy called Ben Burt who has worked on quite a few different things, uh, like the Foley and sound design elements of, of a lot of like 
films, things like Started and all the Star Wars films, and he did Wally as well. Um, and it, I think that that approach to sound design, where you've got a, an entirely uh, made up world that you have to you have to come up with every single sound that that exists in that world and you have to give everything an emotion wally is a really really good example for that kind of thing definitely yeah. because there's very little dialogue in there all the movements that he makes uh, have to have lots of meaning so his track his track movements is is super detailed and the differences between say him and and uh, even the film who's much more uh, developed developed robot you know much more modern design uh and yeah picking making sure that the sounds match the the source while also giving them this sort of emotional depth and value is really really impressive thing yeah, yeah. no absolutely and, and I, I you know because i i, I feel like mu- music has a real ability i mean it, te- it pretty much tells you how to feel sometimes i've noticed you know when you're watching films you you know i i've you mentioned Hans Zimmer earlier i always find the scene at the end of inception for example when he walks um through That's what I was about inception yeah, inception, yeah. And, and when he when he when he walks um you know when he's walking through the airport and then they've got the song time by Hans Zimmer playing in the background i i, I it always just moves me to tears because it's just so um it, it's incredible what music can really do for you you know when you're watching films i think Absolutely, yeah, and that's something I found out a lot in in the animated in the animation world uh, that it it really is the the entire canvas of what you're supposed to feel when you're watching that film. Yeah, the actual picture is so interpretable because it's it's nothing like real life. You haven't got real people or a real scene, so you can you can take any scene and make it have any kind of emotional impact just by the sound and music that you use. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and yeah, I mean, I, I I literally feel myself sort of it, it sort of taps into everything I sort of feel, you know, when I'm watching a film. In in, in terms of it, you know, that when it's a funny moment, I'll know it's sort of funny basically because of the sounds and stuff like that. And and I'll, if it's a very sad moment, if it's, if it's a very emotional moment, you know, the you know just just and and I, th- I think it's really interesting, like someone what someone like Hans Zimmer does in terms of the way he's able to sort of really. Um, he's so in tune i think with your sort of senses and the way you're sort of feeling and he's he and he he absolutely sort of it's, it's like each song is like a track to each different emotion almost i find you know and and, and that's that's what's great yeah um yeah so i mean obviously you're a music guy and you're doing a degree in music production for example and um i have to ask what is your favorite use of a popular song in a movie of any genre oh that's a good question man um Oh, that's a really good question because now I'm trying to think of specific songs that were used in films. But I suppose uh, the Coen Brothers o- often use um, popular music really, really well, uh, especially something like The Big Lebowski and and uh, the songs that they pick out for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, the the sort of connection with the scene and obviously moving in between. Uh, you can go a little bit more on the nose with something, say like. You know, the, like Mike Myers films, like Austin Powers or, or Wayne's yeah. World. Yeah. Obviously, there's there's a, a musical theme in that, you know. And yeah, or Bill uh, and Ted, for example. I mean, have you seen the third yeah. Bill and Ted movie? You know, that was that sort of, no. yeah, 
that Bill and Ted face the music. It was actually quite, I mean, I have, I am, you know, I'll be honest here, and I'm this is going to shock people, but I haven't seen the first two Bill and Ted movies. I only seen the third one. That's <laughs> then, yeah. And I've, uh, I know I haven't seen Bill and Ted. It's terrible, basically. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's terrible that I haven't seen it because obviously it's such a huge cultural sensation. But yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the third film, but I, I really liked that it was sort of about the kind of power of music, really, and about how because it's called Bill and Ted face the music and about how music can you know do can really almost change people's lives sometimes you know yeah i think i think the whole concept of the second one is that they ha have been visited from the future and someone's told them that look you've written a song that saved the world and that, yeah. it, i mean it's really stupid it's a really stupid film but it's, it's such a big <laughs> film as well I yeah it. i know I've, I've been meaning to watch it for ages basically but i i i saw the the, the uh third one in cinemas basically you know that was shortly after they reopened yeah and it was it was and it was it was enjoyable. It was quite forgettable, but it was it was good fun. But yeah, I mean, if, if you want something forgettable that's not too sort of deep or you know, it's just sort of quite good, yeah. just good escapism, I'd recommend it. Yeah, that's then definitely worth checking out. It's definitely um, one of some best then, Yeah, yeah, that's and and of course you meant you mentioned like the Coen Brothers and their use of popular songs in in music. I mean, I think my favorite would have to be well, there's a couple of a couple of favorites. I mean, have you seen the film Magnolia, for example? You know, with uh, you know, it's really worth watching, Magnolia. It's from 1999, and it's it's just and it's got brilliant use of a song by Amy Mann called "Wise Up," and and um, and and it's really uh, that's probably my favourite use of a popular song, you know, in music because it's um, it, it, you know there's there's a scene where literally characters start singing this song a cappella basically, and um, it's it's just so moving. It's one of the great movie moments in my opinion, you know, um, that I've seen mm -hmm. certainly, you know. And the other one, of course, is the use of "Where Is My Mind" by the Pixies and Fight Club, you know. No, that's then that's that's the yeah, other one that, that really you know that, that I think really had a big in, impact on me and and that obviously plays during the end credits. So yeah, yeah train, train spotting is it? Now you've said now you've mentioned that train spotting is a really good one for popular music in a film. You know that's got a fantastic soundtrack. Yeah, definitely by by Under, Underworld, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. and and um, he, he's worked and Underworld worked with Danny Boyle on lots of different movies. Actually, you know, it's not just Train Spotting. You know, he they they worked. I think on the Trance soundtrack, one of Danny Boyle's from Trance, and on um yeah, and and, and I think on on various other yeah, Train Spotting has got a, has got a great soundtrack, and they, I think they worked on the second Train Spotting film as well. Actually, yeah, that's and, and uh, but yeah, um, so I mean. I've, I've known you for some years now and um, I know obviously you had a role, we've talked about Christopher Nolan already, but we, you had a role obviously in Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises from 2012. What was your experience of working with this filmmaker? I mean, he's a real icon of mine. So yeah, I, I, I want to just, I had to ask you that question. <laughs> I think I think we need to give the viewers a caveat of uh, the fact that uh, working on the film is a strong way of putting it. I, <laughs> I was I was I think probably 14 years old and I was asked to walk off a bus into Wollaton Hall. They used Wollaton Hall as the as the front of uh, Wayne Manor. It was the, the exterior shot. Uh, and so they got uh, local like drama students and drama groups to audition to to be part of the group of orphans that run into the run into the Wayne Manor at the very end of the film. Um but you know the the experience itself was phenomenal. You know, it was fourteen years old. You got you got paid for it, free food. We got I got to see the Batmobile. You know, I saw saw Morgan Freeman from a distance. Yeah, yeah that was oh uh, childhood. Um, what, great. What what was Christopher Nolan in particular? So did you did he work with you specifically? Did you did he did he direct you? No, he what it it was uh, one of his team that was just sort of told us what what we needed to do. But we did see him. Uh, he 
he uh, sort of said thank you to us all just before we left and Yes, yeah. he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's, he, and he seems like he seems like such. You know, every, every I feel wiser every time I listen to him. You know, in the sense that he's uh, because he he's, he just manages to talk. You know, just I mean, I, I could listen to him like reading the phone directory or something because he just talks sort of so eloquently and so sort of mm-hmm. just with such a sort of knowledge of film, basically. And and um, yeah, and 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 obviously, and I I, I have to ask you that because he's probably one of my filmmaking icons. You know, and obviously, and now I, because I'm. I'm working as a freelance film critic i'm writing for left line for example and i'm writing for various other publications um you know on, on websites um you know he's definitely been a massive inspiration for me on my sort of filmmaking tastes you know over the years definitely i mean you know i i, I remember i mean i remember watching inception for example and i saw the cinemas which is unbelievably 11 going to be 11 years old this year you know the film you know because it came out in 2010 and um yeah and and, and I, I that that was pretty much my favorite film i think at the, definitely at the age of 11 12 you know that kind of age and and it was um yeah and it kind of really kicked off my sort of you could say obsession with movies you know in the sense that you know becoming sort of really in, in, interested in the in cinema really and and yeah I've, I've seen obviously all his films now that's the thing and I, I i know a lot of people didn't really like tenet for example I mean, have you seen tenet for example uh no no i can't say i haven't fred yeah, it's uh, well, well. A lot of people found a lot, quite divided. A lot of people. A lot of people said it was um, quite. Uh, you know, a lot of people found it. You know, incomprehensible and difficult to understand. And a lot of people said, particularly, they had a comment. They commented about the. It's really interesting that we're talking about sound because he, one of the things that I ha- have. I I never noticed myself, but I've heard other people complain about Christopher Nolan's film is that they're so bloody loud and that you mm. can you can't hear the dialogue. Yeah. You know, because the sound is so loud like for example i i didn't notice that but they particularly seem to notice that with tenet they said specifically that um the sound was so loud that they literally could not hear the dialogue and because it's such a complicated film they couldn't follow the plots because this you know if if the if they couldn't hear the dialogue and 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 i, I was wondering i mean do, do you think that I, 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 you know, and a lot of people obviously had this problem with Tenet, and they had, and they, they, they complained about the, the sound design. I mean, do, do you think that? And he's responded to this complaint, and he specifically said that he's surprised by how conservative people are about the sort of issue of sound in terms of, you know, they, they just want sort of. He, he approaches sound in a completely different manner to any other sort of filmmaker, I think, you know, and and I was just really wondering, like, do, do you think that? you know have you noticed that with any of his films as being a problem you know in terms of the sound design and or and do you think that directors you know that they spend lots and lots of time sort of i mean some a lot of people said sometimes that he might even have deliberately made the sound difficult to hear basically and and because it's it's sort of to do with the plot and everything like that and and the mechanics of the plot I, i was just wondering what you think about that and and do you think that you know, have have you had that problem with this with Christopher Nolan's sound design, and 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 do you think that, you know, that how you know I want I wonder for example, you know how whether do you, because as someone who's obviously worked in the film in, in in the music industry and obviously worked in music production and everything like that, and I, I do you know, do you think that sound is something that directors consciously sort of think about and 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 is is something that you know is is very much built into the sort of dna of the film if you know what i mean yeah it's a really interesting point because i start off by saying danny boyle is quoted as saying that film is 80 percent sound yeah sound, sound, like like we were saying earlier sound 
it, it dictates the emotion of a scene, you know, and you can't get past that. If as if you take Jaws and get rid of the music, it's not a scary film. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and with, with Jaws, the whole thing is the fact that you can't even, um, you, well, you you don't see the shark for the most of Jaws. And I think that's that that's what the, the incredible thing about that with Jaws, for example, like you said, is is that it you know it sort of suggests through the soundtrack it kind of suggests the sort of shark's presence you kind of imagine in your head what the shark must look like rather than actually seeing it and i think that's always so much more effective than actually showing people you know yeah totally so you, you've got a scene where there's a lot of people stood on a boat yeah that's great if you don't have the da-da-da-da going on in the background you've got no idea there's any threat of a shark in that scene. yeah it's absolutely. not there's, there's no fear really in that uh, it's it's interesting the point the the point you make about people not liking that the dialogue was below a lot of the sound in the film because there, there is like a, a standard hierarchy that you've got dialogue you've got uh important sound effects and you have your sort of uh background and foley down here but something something like a you know the, these kind of futuristic films like tenet or or, or sci-fi films superhero films they need that that sound to have the impact that maybe some of the dialogue wouldn't have. You know, sometimes you, you'll find a film maybe in terms of the dialogue isn't, isn't that well thought out, but the actual, you know, the action is, is always huge, massive explosions, car chases, all these kind of things that again, they need really impressive sound. Otherwise it's not going to have the impact for the viewer. Yeah. Because, because, you know, this sound each, because, you know, especially with Christopher Nolan's film, I mean, I, I, I'm really, you know, think his sound is great and stuff. I haven't actually personally noticed this idea that, you know, you can't hear the dialogue in a lot of his films, but because I, I think maybe that's because I was just sort of so immersed in the, the sound, because the sound design is so immersive that you kind of forget about that somewhat. Because, I mean, that's another thing, problem that people had with Tenet, for example. They said that they couldn't understand the plot, basically. And um, I mean, I, I don't think I fully understood it, but like there's a line in the movie where a character says, don't try to understand it, feel it. And that's pretty much what I did, you know, in the sense that I sort of yeah. tried not to listen to the plot. And because I saw obviously on a huge IMAX screen, I just, you know, I, I just sort of just in, tried to just not think about how sort of confusing it actually was in terms of the plot and just try to sort of enjoy the whole experience of just being in a cinema and seeing it, especially because I hadn't been to the cinema for months, obviously, because it was one of the yeah. first films that opened post lockdown. And um, yeah, and, and I, and I, and I, and, and seeing it. So I, 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 you know, I, you know, I, I feel like that um, people are really sort of craving that kind of immersive sort of communal experience that cinemas give people. And they, you know, and I, I, I was wondering what, what you think about this, for example, because I've, I've asked a few people who I've interviewed actually about this. Is What do you think specifically is the sort of future of cinemas post-lockdown, post-COVID? And um, do you, I mean, because a lot of people are worried, for example, because streaming has become such a big thing, you know, and, and, and we're in a, a digital age, you know, you could say, and, and people are wondering, you know, it's, it's cheaper to rent movies you know on on streaming services or to subscribe to a streaming service streaming service it doesn't smell of popcorn for example like in the cinemas you know it's easy to take bathroom breaks for example you know in, in when you just watch you have to just press pause on your remote you don't have to walk out of the cinema people are just thinking you know how how do you think cinema is do you think cinema can stay relevant in the sort of age of streaming and downloads and how do you think it is going to how, how do you think they could survive in a world where 
you know, it's just so easy to just literally switch on Netflix and find your favorite film. It's interesting. Yeah. Cause you know, you've got your films that we were talking about with the, the dialogue input heavy, you know, the, they're written around the story and, and the dialogue and that's, and that's the whole point of the film. Th- those kind of things you don't need to be at the cinema to see, but something, something like a, like an action film or a superhero film where you can implement that really immersive surround sound into the experience. I don't think that many people can replicate that at home. There's there's a fairly new phenomenon of a thing called binaural audio, which is essentially trying to recreate stereo in headphones. Um, and and that, that does work really well. And it's a really impressive thing. If you ever get a chance to check out uh, just, it's just a clip on YouTube of, of a virtual haircut. It's called uh, this Italian right. guy goes around and it's like you're having your haircut. It's really weird. Um, so that kind of stuff is really impressive, but it's a very personal, uh, closed off experience. And I don't know if like a two hour film, for example, uh, you've, you've got to be really into your film and your immersive experiences to, to want to do that, I think. So I think definitely that, that whole thing of a, of a proper cinema IMAX experience where the sound is, is, is super loud and it's coming from all around you. And obviously you've got an enormous screen in front of you. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think... I don't think you can replace that for for a certain for certain genres. Yeah, I, I I don't think so either. Like, there's nothing I mean, there's nothing quite like being in a cinema, and that's what I've really missed recently, especially because of literally. I mean, how I obviously because you know part of what I do for a living at the moment is is obviously reviewing films and watching films and writing about film. You know, that's the thing. And and so I I've got loads of streaming services. I watch you know huge amounts of films and and TV. You know, you know every day pretty much. But like what my my you know I I feel that um it's still you know I, I do crave the idea of being able to sit in a cinema and I mean because I don't think cinema nests just because of the fact that you know streaming and download I mean like people have for example talked about theatre as being dead you know for years you know but it hasn't actually really died out you know in the sense that it, it's, it's just adapted and it's become sort of you know, it's it's just adapted to the times and, and it's just made people have realized they've got to just work a little bit harder to make it stay relevant. And I think people can absolutely still do that with cinema. And I think cinema it doesn't streaming and cinema, they, they don't need to go one after each other, you know, that's the thing. They could kind of coexist, you know, and that's they need to find a sort of peaceful relationship between each other. And I, I think if someone like Martin Scorsese, for example, can um come up with, you know, a reason to release his film like The Irishman, for example, in cinemas, you know, as well as on Netflix, then I don't think there's any reason why other filmmakers couldn't do that too. And and um what what I love about Christopher Nolan as well is that he's been such a champion of I mean I don't know if you've heard the story about how he had a fallout with Warner Brothers, for example, because they decided to release their entire um, 2021 movie slate onto HBO Max and onto the streaming service HBO Max, and and he was very he was not having any of it, so he's actually left Warner Brothers now. And um, yeah, and I, I I find that you know we we need people to really stick up for the cinema experience and, and for the theatrical experience, and 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 I I hope that people will and I hope I, I just got I just keep my fingers crossed that the cinema will push through and it will survive, even if it's even if it has to sort of coexist with streaming, it can coexist kind of peacefully, if you know what I mean. I can only, I can only sort of liken it to music. And I don't know if, I think the cinema is, is almost, it's almost like buying, you know, physical CDs or vinyl compared to streaming your music. You know, there's, there's something different about the experience of physically having that, that piece of, that piece of plastic that plays the songs and you own the artwork that comes with it. And 
and it's a similar thing to, to go into the cinema you know you can have that experience of well you know i sat in the middle of the cinema and i experienced the, the entire soundscape around me and you know the visual was in ultra 4k and a massive screen in front of me it's i was almost going to liken it to you know the difference between streaming and going to see a live gig because it is almost like that in a sense isn't it you know you you're actually going out and you're actually experiencing the the event as it was meant as it was intended by the people who created it you know yeah and and that's that you know and 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 you know, I, I think cinema will survive and I think that it will adapt and it will just sort of change and sort of adapt with the times, to be honest. I don't think there is necessarily a case that, yeah, I mean, because I, I think, I think you know, traditionally there has been a case that one sort of technological advancement sort of comes one after the other. But I think with cinema seems to have survived, you know, two world wars, for example, and it's, you know, survived so many crises across history. And I think there's no reason why, I mean, this this hopefully will be a sort of a minor blip in its sort of in a very long and sort of, you know, historic and progressive sort of history for cinema. And I think it will, they, you know, it's just got to find a way to sort of adapt to the fact that there are pe- people are increasingly finding, you know, the idea that they're going to watch um, movies at, at home, for example, or, or, or on their, on, on, on streaming platforms, for example. And I think that, but, but then, the, then there are other things, for example, there are other things that people thought were dead, you know, stuff like the drive-in cinema, you know, that's never been a big thing at all, but, you know, it has recently has become such a, re-found re, re that sort of, um, you know, love for, you know, that it, it's become, it's, you know, who, who would have thought that that would be a big deal, but obviously because of the current situation that, 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 that drive-in cinemas have become, you know, hugely popular, for example, and, um, yeah, and and, and 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 you know that was only previously just a thing we saw in the movies, like in American movies, like Greece, for example. Like it's got the driving the driving scene, and um, but yeah, and and, and but I, I so I think cinemas cinema will always find a way to sort of adapt to the sort of situation. If, if anything, people just might have to work a little bit harder to get it to adapt and stay relevant. I think. Yeah, of course, and I think it's it's like any kind of event like that where you go out and experience something in a large crowd you know say you went to a big sporting event or or a gig you know it's 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 no different if you if you've got that passion for cinema like clearly you have um then then that's what's going to drag people that's what's going to draw people to these to these places it's you know like people people it's again it's the people who are into into music will go to the gigs you know they're not you, you can have your playlist on spotify and you can listen to them when you're walking around or on the bus but it's a totally different experience from just enjoying the thing to going and uh, and living that you know for for a couple of hours or whatever it is. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. And yeah, I, I just think that we've just got to have faith that you know, you know, and things are going you know I think really well at the moment with the, the vaccination program and 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 you know the numbers are coming down massively. And I and I think that you know I I just hope that this will all be a minor blip you could say well a pretty major blip but if you know what i mean in the sense that that will be this that this will you know be um that that you know cinema will find a cinema and music for example all the arts you know will find a way to adapt to the changing sort of circumstances yeah i certainly hope so and i think it's shown you know young younger people like ourselves is, is the first thing that people want to do is start going to gigs and start going to to sporting events and and i'm sure cinema is exactly the same you know people people are desperate to go and see new films in in that in that environment 
Yeah, and, and absolutely, and I, I completely agree. And um, so, yeah, I mean, Rory, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on this podcast. I think it's been fantastic. Been great, man. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. And 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 um, thank you for sort of answering my questions and in the best way you could. And um, yeah, I just just I can't tell you how thankful I am. So, Rory, th- thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks very much. Great yeah. to see you. Thank you. Good to see you. So coming up to the end of this week's show, and I thought I'd make a quick mention of a film I've been watching. It's called Ammonite. Now I first saw Ammonite back in October at the London Film Festival. I saw it at Showcase Cinema, and while I was watching it, I heard members of the audience whispering, It's such a quiet film, I can't hear what they're saying. And I have to say I shared those concerns, both at the cinema and when watching it at home recently. I felt the dialogue was too soft against the clashing and crashing of the waves of the film's Lyme Regis setting. I mean, it's a bit of a similar situation to Tenet, where people say they couldn't hear the dialogue because the music was too loud. I mean, I didn't have a problem with the sound design of Tenet, but I did struggle to hear the dialogue in Ammonite. So Ammonite is directed by a director called Francis Lee, who first blew me away in 2017 with a film called God's Own Country. It was absolutely terrific, a kind of Yorkshire Dales broke back mountain, and made stars of Josh O'Connor and Alex Sacarino, who had fabulous LGBT chemistry. And Ammonite is very much the direct on familiar territory. It's a drama about a lesbian relationship between famed archaeologist Mary Anning, played by Kate Winslet, and an emotionally fragile young woman named Charlotte Murchison, played by Sir Ronan. Look, I love Kate Winslet and I love Sir Ronan. What could be better than two of the finest actresses on screen working together? I just wish the film lived up to that premise. I think Winslet is very good. It's a very different performance for her. It's very minimalist and physical and relies on minute gestures like her squatting to go to the loo or her squealing when cutting herself on the rocks. This is very different to screaming, crying Kate we're used to seeing in Titanic and her tearful award speeches. Tearful award speeches. <laughs> She's usually such an emotive actress, but she was weirdly understated here, and it actually worked quite well. Unfortunately, Sir Ronan is oddly miscast and sidelined by Kate. Don't get me wrong, I think she's a terrific actress, but I've often found recently she often gets overshadowed by better performers, like she did in Little Women by Florence Pugh. I didn't see much of a role for her here, other than as a sex partner to Winslet's Anning, as she does in the multiple girl-on-girl sex scenes. There is a lot of girl-on-girl sex in this movie, maybe too much. I'm sure some men will all find it all very titillating, seeing two women together, and most will love the prospects of seeing Kate and Saoirse naked, but I just didn't. I found it excessive and tedious. There's some stunning Dorset scenery. The Lyme Regis coast has never looked so beautiful, especially in the opening scenes where Winslet climbs a rock face and cuts her leg on on a rock face as a result. The, The waves clash and crash in around her, but some of the beauty is obscured by the sound design. I couldn't hear the dialogue against the clashing and crashing, but that's not the problem. This is just a very generic love story that just happens to have a lesbian relationship at its heart, which I suppose was a big deal at the time the film was set in the 19th century. 
I just found Ammonite a bit of a bore. I'd rather watch God's Own Country again. That had more to say about very real issues affecting the LGBT community and better star chemistry between its stars. Ammonite was just more of the same rather than more, and it's available on multiple platforms now. So there we go, that's this week's show done and dusted. But I couldn't leave without asking you the title of this show, that's what you've been watching. I want to know what you've watched this week, whether at home, on your mobile phone, on your iPad, whatever. Just tell me what you've watched at my podcast email address. That's what you've been watching at roshansreviews.co.uk. That's it from me today guys, thank you so much for listening and happy watching. This podcast's intro and outro music was brought to you by Music for Makers and was their own track, Stop and Go. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again soon.